Sermon Index Classics, featuring the vintage audio sermons from the past century. Welcome again to Sermon Index and today's program featuring some of the best sermons preached in the last century. This program is provided by the Ministry of Sermon Index. For more messages, log on to our website, www.sermonindex.com. Now, here's today's program. tonight and take thy word and speak to the depth of every heart come now God to the hardest heart and break it in Jesus Christ's name in Jesus Christ's name Amen I want you to just listen to this beginning. I'm going to read just a short paragraph or two as a statement, a foundation to the sermon. If you want to put it up ever so slightly, you'll gain my respect. Listen carefully now. The historical context the historical context of the Old Testament to a staggering degree signifies the outworking of the spiritual work found in the New Testament. The historical context of the Old Testament to a staggering degree signifies the outworking of the spiritual work found in the New Testament. In other words, the history of the Old Testament is spiritualized again and again in the New Testament. It is on many occasions the spiritual, practical outworking or explanation of the doctrines, of the experiential doctrines of the New Testament. Nothing was ever meant to be looked upon as history in this book. Only the theological academic liberal with degrees behind his name or those influenced by him or trying to impress him by emulating him would look upon this Old Testament as history. It's not history. It's the living, vital, throbbing word of God. There's not a word here meant to be read as history. Of course, it is history, but the sovereign God was in every word. His sovereignty is seen in history by the very names He gave men. His sovereignty seen over the plan of God in giving us this holy book. He had you in mind. It was written for you and me to hear His voice. And beloved, I've often thought to myself, why did God make two-thirds of this holy book, the Old Testament? Was it a mistake? Not enough to talk about in the New Testament? No. Don't neglect the Old Testament for the new. 
but you will be in utter poverty unless you devour and consume the old. For you will be so limited in your understanding of the heart of God, no matter what you read and how many times you read through the New Testament, you'll be literally in poverty in comparison with those who soak themselves looking for God's voice, God's rhema, God's revelation, verse upon verse. Of course the words he said in its context were two men, but every warning was for you. Every encouragement, every promise, every guidance for God to take as you open this book to hear His voice. Otherwise, don't open it. Open it with a primarily purpose to seek God to speak to your soul. The sovereign God will. Concerning what you need to hear. Not bursting out every verse, but trust me, the more you go through the book, the more you become conscious. This was written from the heart of God for now. For me, the Old Testament was not history. It's the living, vital Word of God, oftentimes spiritualizing the New Testament. So often that as you get through this book 400 times, you almost wonder, is there a verse, is there a name? that hasn't got spiritual significance somehow in the light of the whole New Testament context of the full revelation of God to give us depth and understanding of the heart of God, the mind of Christ. When God delivered the people who were in slavery and bondage to the Egyptians, it is staggering to what degree it's filled in the New Testament of His deliverance attached to salvation. Of course, God. Of course, God. Looked at these people in love and all the things He did to prove that He wanted to set them free, to show His love. His longing, His determination to make them flee from the bondage and slavery of this enemy to be delivered. Oh, they weren't delivered as He sought. His desire, His intent on delivering them. They became conscious, God, God is wanting me to be free. And ultimately, the thing that delivered them was when they put their faith in the blood. That was the ultimate deliverance, when they trusted God in His promise. And when I see the blood, my judgment shall pass over. How beloved a babe in Christ can see, well, that's history, but that's the New Testament. The sovereign God weighing up, He's in such perfect control, that we just see God's doctrine written in history, verse by verse, literally as vital as the New Testament. That set them free. The enemy took his hands off. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't mean the enemy just sat back and said, no more pursuing, no more trying to get their eyes off from God. Oh no, I don't want to just let them go. Do you think all oh, that was just history that suddenly... Set free at last. They were no longer slaves. Go! 
longer mine. I have no ownership of it. Go! Well, don't think the devil, this enemy, is just going to sit back when you're saved. He will come the moment you set free with such venom, with such anger, with such hatred, with such jealousy of what he lost of you in his hatred of God. But then there's the Red Sea. Wonderful. And read Hebrews to see the significance, the, specific, the spiritual significance of how they passed through the Red Sea. The doctrine. God was just writing doctrine as history went. Perfect doctrine of the New Testament. But I want to bypass 99.999% of all this that I'm speaking about to get to this point. The other side of the Red Sea. Moses now takes the people of God Delivered. Oh, what a blow to the enemy. He so delivered them. Now he takes them and leads them through the wilderness. For 40 years through the wilderness to the promised land. Of course, Hebrews tells us spiritualizing it. And he does. That the promised land is heaven. And we are strangers and pilgrims here. This is not our home. Hebrews says we seek another country. We're passing through. We don't want to hold on to this. Oh God, don't let this be heaven. <laughs> don't let this be eternity. Who wants it? No, God, no. I don't want to put my roots down here. There's nothing to hold me or to I don't want anything. I don't even want to leave anything but only what's done for Christ for life. There's nothing here that I hold on to. There's nothing. Nothing. This is not my territory. This is not my place for eternity. This is not where my heart is. I set my affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I lay up my treasures on things in heaven, never on earth. No. I seek another country. Now Moses, Moses, as he led God's people, did something staggering for you and me. He didn't know it, but he was writing to you. God had you in mind that this was being written. The mind of God, the heart, the throbbing heart of God for you to hear his voice as you would be in poverty if you were just stuck with the New Testament. Poverty in comparison. The voice of God, the rhema, page by page. If you're in touch with God, for once the Holy Spirit is there. That's all you need. Oh, Moses, as he leads the people of God now through this which is not their home, not their land, not their goal. They didn't want to put down roots, not one step, no. Moses now... As he leads the people of God, he sends messages to the godless kings. As the people of God were to pass through this godless territory of these godless people, he sends messages. Listen. Listen to what these messages are. Numbers 20, verse 17. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. 
we will not pass through thy fields or thy vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of thy wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. Oh, by the way, there was the king's highway, literally, historically. But that was a sovereign God that made them name it, by the way, the king's highway. In case you think it's just happened by coincidence, nothing, nothing is coincidence. God wanted to speak to you and me. We won't divert into the enemy's territory on us, our pathway to the celestial city. We have no intention of drinking from their water wells, going into their territory, sitting at their tables, fellowshipping with them, doing their things. No, we will not turn from the king's highway to the right hand, to the left, until we've passed right through. Hallelujah. Judges 11, verse 19. Let us pass, he writes to another godless king. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy land unto my place. Which is, of course, the promised land. We seek another country. We have nothing in our hearts for this. We're just passing through. We're strangers till we die, beloved, on this earth. And we have nothing holding us. For we've got nothing. Nothing that we've put down as an anchor. Nothing that holds us and says, oh, we want to hold on to this because this is where our treasures are. We obeyed God in the light of the New Testament and the Old. Oh, Moses then cried out earnestly to God's people. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 14, Thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I command thee this day to the right hand, to the left, to go after the other gods, to serve them. In Proverbs 5, in Proverbs 5, verse 25, God says to all of us, Let thine eyes look Right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder. Be careful. Watch. God. Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all thy ways, all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Keep thy foot. Remove thy foot. Oh, thou shalt not follow the multitude to do evil. They always will, but not you, child. Not you. Psalm 1. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God write Psalm 1 at the beginning of the Psalms? Just let's just throw it into a nice order. Oh no, every word is weighed and weighed and weighed and weighed by a holy God. That's why you need to read this book. In the order God put it. Psalm 1 is there for a reason. Read it, obey it, or don't read Psalm 2. It will judge you. 
Don't read Psalm 2, young boy, until you know you've obeyed Psalm 1. God will grieve at you getting to 2 before this. That's why he puts it right at the beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. I love the word blessed. The new versions, all of them say happy, is the literal translation to today's languages. If we're even allowed to talk about the new versions and stay alive. (laughs) I like the word blessed. Sorry, I know many sinners who are happy. Don't believe sinners are all out there miserable, weeping and their sin, you know, going to the nightclubs and the drugs and the drink and the filth and the moral decadence and the sensuality. Don't think they're all there, oh, woe is me that I'm here in this atmosphere. No. They're happy, but their happiness is nothing. They're in such poverty of happiness in comparison with God's happiness. But I just thank God I've got a version that gives me another word, blessed. Because I don't know a sinner on earth that's blessed in his sin. My peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth. Oh, you get a peace from the world. Of course you do. Some fulfillment, but in comparison with God's peace, it's poverty, it's agony, it's suffering. And only once you experience God's peace, the joy of the Lord. You want to know the joy the world gives? It's a billion, zillion miles into poverty in comparison with what you experience once you know what the joy of the Lord is. My blessed, my happiness, the result of what God says this man must do. This happiness that will be attached only to such a man. Blessed is the man that comes out at the meeting and kneels and seeks God to save his soul. And stands up and testifies. And comes to meeting and wants to grow in the faith. No. The majority of people who have that only, looking at them, you think they cursed. This blessedness that is written by God the Holy Spirit upon the man who does this will only be written by the Holy Spirit if you obey this. Outside of that, you haven't got this written across your life, beginning in the home. Your children won't want what you've got. For what they see in you will not be something that draws them. Oh, God writes this word across the life, beginning in the home, and every step you take, people become conscious. God has written this word across your life only if you have done this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He never will allow the ungodly to influence him. Never will he be influenced by the ungodly again. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. He will never go where sinners go for sin. He will never go where sinners go for their happiness. Never! Never! 
Oh, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. He'll never ever attach himself or associate with those who scorn the godly, the godly young man who separates himself. For God, from all that is even slightly attached to evil, no matter what the cost or consequences, no matter how many friends he loses, or what scorn is brought upon him from the compromising Christians, and they're the first to condemn you and scorn when you become godly, are those who profess Christianity who don't want to be anything like Christianity of this book, but want to be like the world, while they have a profession of salvation for eternal life. No! He doesn't go, he doesn't allow sinners to influence him. He won't go where sinners go. He won't attach himself or associate with those who scorn a young person who gives up filth and depravity and even dress like the fashions of the world are his God. No wonder the world can't believe it if he says anything one day that he belongs to Jesus. But his delight is not in what the ungodly delight in. Never! He can't! His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. I love that. This word delight in the Hebrew, to those of you that have made a study, it's a singular word here. It's a word that is staggering. It's his only delight. God's saying here. Any other interest, any other thing that you might say gives him a bit of encouragement or excitement just fades into significance, into meaninglessness in comparison to the God says, this is his singular light that consumes his whole life. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate. That takes away all hurry. Cancels out. Don't expect God's blessing for a quick five minutes so that you have a conscience that you can go to sleep with after you spend hours watching some filthy box that's demoralizing and decadent and blasphemous and profanity. And then you want to come to this and give God five minutes? No, there's no hurry here because there's nothing to hurry to. There's nothing that delights you like this, so there's nothing the devil can present on any box, no matter how advanced technically Hollywood can become with its impact. Nothing is even a temptation when you're right with God to neglect this. For this is his singular delight when you're right with God. You want the pulse right now of how right you are with God, young man? Not ten things. I know people like Spurgeon could give you ten things and their wonderful homiletical abilities. But every single one of them is the result of this one thing. You want to know your pulse? The doctors used to do this, you know. Something's wrong just to know how the pulse. You want to just right now put your finger in the pulse and know just how right you are with God. There's one thing. Is this. Your greatest love in life now. Answer God. Be careful. God's listening. Watching your heart. 
Do you love God as much as you love this book? Now, we'll stop. Nothing more to say. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. You redeem the time. There's time. Young man, what do you do? Oh, I can do this. Of course there's legitimate things. Of course there's legitimate things that are needful to be addressed in life daily. But if that isn't essential and your heart doesn't just thirst for the taking advantage of the moments God's giving you just to have another few moments, even if it's minutes. You are not right with God, I guarantee you. This is the one thing, day and night, you redeem the time to attach yourself to, to disregard any other voice, any other thing, no matter how important it is, but it isn't vital. This is vital. If you're right with God, don't doubt it. Day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and bringeth that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither whatsoever do he doeth shall prosper. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Oh, you can go through deserts, semi-deserts right across southern Africa and Africa itself where everything that tried to make an attempt to survive in the conditions, the terrifying conditions they had to survive. Drought, famine, years and not a cloud. But they tried. Most, as you drive, millions dead. They couldn't survive, though they tried in this place. But then suddenly, you see a long row of high green trees. It doesn't take much intelligence to know why. There's a river. He, now the God puts himself at a holy obligation. He cannot deny himself. This is God's blessing. This is God's guarantee. Spiritually, full stop, beginning and end. Nothing else attached. Listen, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Your fruit, the fruit expected, the fruit desired. Everything you could long for is going to be there. Outside of that, you're not blessed. You're cursed in the eyes of the world because you're going to be miserable and scared to even say you're saved in certain company. Oh, beloved, the ungodly are not so. I don't want to speak about the ungodly. He cannot breathe. It's like someone who's found oxygen when he got right with God and he suffocated all his life spiritually. Meaningful purpose and peace that passes all understanding and joy. It's like a man suddenly found oxygen. He can survive. And if he's detached from it, he begins to suffocate again. If he's right with God, he can't bear it. It's like suffocating, trying to attach himself to other things, other time consuming things if you're right with God that is 
Isaiah 30 verse 21. Isaiah 30 verse 21. Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee. None of you sitting here will know what God's speaking about unless you've lived it. You see, in the school of God, when you recognize these words of what God has done is when you go through with God. Otherwise, it's just dead doctrine. Listen, every one of you that love this book more than anything in life, because this brings you into fellowship and communion with a God you profess you love, will know exactly what God is speaking of here. Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Thine ears, not ten minutes after you divert, the moment there's even the slightest diversion, thine ears that moment will hear a word behind thee in the innermost being of thy conscience, but it'll be there saying, No child, this is the way. You're as safe as you are devoured in this book. You are as safe as you soak yourself in the word of God as your greatest delight and love and protection as you guard yourself to not be diverted from this book. You are as safe as this book consumes your life, sir. That doesn't mean you neglect anything on earth that God expects your conscience to fulfill. That means every single moment on earth that you have the choice between things that really don't matter for your survival, even if they're religious. You go to this. You will hear a word behind you the moment you are tempted to divert or the devil tries or man tries or anybody on any level of spirituality to divert from God's way. This is the way God will say, no child, this is the way. When you turn to the right hand, when you turn to the left, you'll hear, this is the way, walk ye in it. God says that only those who soak themselves in the scriptures will hear that voice. Anyone sitting in this building with a testimony of salvation that does not consume and whose life is not consumed by this book, in this book, will never, ever hear that voice, ever, until it's too late. Though you're saved. You say that's wrong? Let's go a bit further. There are many road maps that have assisted all of us in our lifetime when we didn't know the way. But on the King's Way, there is one, only one road map, beloved. Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp. A lamp unto my feet. A light unto my path. Take this away. You don't know where to take the next step. God says. The more we have of God's word in our minds and in our hearts, the more discerning we will be. The more swiftly we will hear his voice calling out to our conscience not to go to the right or left. Stop, child. This is the way. Be careful about this word discernment. Everything's a gift, you know. Discernment is a gift. Of course it is. But I hate the word gift. Because it's like instantaneous, you know. Boom, bang. I have a gift. The preacher must keep quiet. I have a gift. <laughs> no, no, no. 
a gift, sir, has to be developed, has to be nurtured and guarded on every level. Discernment is to the degree you soak yourself in the word of God once you're saved, that God gives you discernment. You have no discernment being saved. So little that it's not worth mentioning in comparison with the discernment you will have within seconds, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what heresies you're listening to, no matter who and how forceful other doctrines are that are not of God, you will know, no! This is not the way. Why? Because you soak yourself in this book. You're as protected doctrinally as you soak yourself in this book. Of course God will protect you until you get into it. But watch out if you neglect it. Listen carefully now, beloved. God's Word strongly challenges those who have diverted from the King's way. God's Word strongly challenges those who have diverted from the King's way. Who tragically have diverted and I want to ask every one of you here tonight to be careful not to be offended by the challenges or the confrontation from God's word itself, from God himself, to those who have diverted off the king's way. James chapter 4, know ye not. That the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Can I repeat that? Because you preachers would even be worse, would be willing to even quote it once in your whole lifetime. They'd be so scared. There's such compromise today that you don't know the difference between the world and the church in most places that say that the church. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Listen, God does not mince words. God does not say something that isn't weighed a thousand times. And unless you're willing to embrace every word in this book, you're in trouble, including this word. Including this word right now. Tragically, Proverbs warns us all It warns us all. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. Correction, even if it's from God, is grievous to him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof, he that hateth reproof shall die. What a terrifying warning in the Old Testament. It's grievous. Beloved, I call on every one of you today to embrace correction. If you have diverted in this apostate compromising age and generation, will you be grieved here tonight if you have diverted from the king's way into the world, into compromise of the world? Will you be grieved at any preacher that dares to preach of this in this generation, in any pulpit left on earth? To confront such a person. 
God pleads with all who have diverted from His way. In Jeremiah 31 verse 21, Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest, turn again. Who do you think he wrote that to? To them? No. Of course to them in its context. But you, you, the sovereign God wanted you tonight to hear from his heart. Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again! Oh, beloved, as you travel on the king's highway, as you travel on the king's highway, you will see tragic warning signs of lives who diverted off the safety of the king's highway into the territory of the godless. You will see on the king's highway Again and again and again, tragic warning signs of lives who diverted off the safety of the king's highway into the territories of the godless. Firstly, people who left the king's way for financial gain. Matthew 6 verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not just the safety of saying I'm saved, but his, by the way, in its context, righteousness not imputed but imparted. God's righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God puts Himself in a holy obligation. He cannot deny Himself. Every need you have in life, God will provide in faithfulness if you're right with Him. But... Be careful now, not your wants, your needs. And let me tell you something. You're going to be shocked how little you need, sir, that you think you have to have. I would say most of what Christians today think they have to have to survive, that think God is failing them, they've got to find some means by which to survive. Most, 99%, you don't need. Let me tell you something that's going to shock you, young man. The more you've got the more you've got to worry about. <laughs> the more you've got to worry about losing. And so you're so busy with insurances about this and that that you die of worry about how to pay the insurances off. Oh, many preachers have buried God's way, the King's way, to make financial gain of things they didn't need for their church, the building even God's work, what they felt they had to, so they diverted up the king's way concerning how to get funds. The devil told them that God's way doesn't work as far as prospering financially enough to do what they think they have to do. So they venture into the territory of the godless to seek to survive financially in the ways of the godless. They stoop to. The godless have stooped to these ways. They stoop to them because the godless have no knowledge of God's way or of his promises. Be careful. All you need, child, and you'll be stunned how little you need. I don't say God leaves you in poverty. He loves to spoil us sometimes. He loves to really honor us sometimes in a staggering way. And some people who he can trust are looked upon as wealthy. 
But if that gets in your way, rich man, you have no hope of following me until you throw the whole lot away, give it to the poor. Not every rich man does God say that to, but those who cannot walk with God, who cannot. It's impossible. You may as well try and get a camel to go through the, the eye of a needle and to try and get saved if you don't get rid of the things that keep you from God himself. He that will be rich, oh, your whole life will be a snare. God says, sorrows that you can't believe will come upon you if that's your goal. Wealth, even if you're in the religion, even if you're in the pulpit. Be careful. What you need is not what you want. You wouldn't need to use those cards, you know, that the devil holds out and says, get today and pay tomorrow. <laughs> You'll find you can't pay tomorrow. Yeah. So what do you do? You just get headaches and heartaches. Your eyes are of God. You despair and you start diverting away from God's way of being content with such things as you have. Whether God gives you much abundance or whether God gives you little. In the school of God, if Paul had to learn how to be content with such things as he had, whether he had little or much, do you think you're going to bypass that school, sir? God doesn't worry about you. Paul, yes, but oh, not you. You are going to prosper and prosper and prosper. I wonder how many people will never say hallelujah again in their life if God takes away everything. Oh, be careful. I have had 14 cars. I want to write a book about them one day. <laughs> the missionaries' cars. Old faithful, we used to call it. The one car I had, the, the old head of the AB, the mission I'm in, said, don't get in that until we prayed. <laughs> You're in danger. Some of them used to hang on, you know. One missionary in our work said, Darling, there's somebody's wheels flying down there off the cliff. He says, It's ours. <laughs> oh, we're going to heaven, she said. Not if I can help it. <laughs> that literally happened. This is the cause our mission have had have been worth writing about. Believe me, I want to write one. <laughs> oh, my, I had this cars, some wonderful condition, but we drove them into the ground. We drove them so they blew up. Two of my cars blew up. And that's when we got out and said, well, that, we need another car. <laughs> Terrible to have to drive them to such a condition, you know. But anyway, I was in a car once. It was a nice old car. It wasn't brand new. That doesn't mean God's failing you. No, you've got to learn to pray <laughs> and learn how to appreciate things. You don't start with the Rolls Royces, you know. Well, I was in this car just fellow comes to me and shouts, Shame on you, Keith Daniel! What a disgrace you are to the kingdom! You're a child of the king! You, you're a servant of God! And look at this car! So I looked at it, I thought, is it dirty? Oh? He said, You should trust God for a better car than this. I said, But I'm happy with this car. I don't need a better car than this. This is what God gave me. I love it. I enjoy it. I don't feel inferior. No, he says. And he mentions one of the greatest, most famous names on earth at that time. Preacher here in America. And he says, this man, on the television, it said he's trusting God for a Rolls Royce. 
calling the people to give this man of God. And he got a Rolls Royce. Now why don't you ask God for something better than this? When you have faith like him, and don't drive around like this, a servant of the King of Kings. I said, you know, quite honestly, if I got a Rolls Royce and drove into a town or a place to preach, no one would give me anything. I would starve. I have a Rolls Royce and a skeleton. Because no one, he's got more than us. I dare not have a Rolls Royce. It'll be the end of me. We moan and groan. I said, listen. And I'm sorry I said this. I really regret that I said this. From my heart. God knows. I said, this man you're speaking of, if that is what he thinks, he is finished. He will be destroyed and bring shame on God's name across this world. Soon. Because then that's the tip of the iceberg of how far he is from God. If that's his understanding of God's provision. Of his needs. Two weeks later, the whole world, the whole world staggered over this man's sin. And shame. And that man probably will never forget for eternity what I said two weeks before it happened. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Don't join the preachers who have diverted from their holy calling to make money. When I was a young preacher in my country, a young evangelist, there was a young fellow with me. Many of them who were young with me in the faith are now the church leaders of Africa. Blaze for God. This one young fellow is one of the moderators of a great church, leader today. But you know what breaks my heart? And I know he's going to hear this. I know he's going to hear this. I used to remember how he and I wept for souls only. How we groaned into the nights for souls. And our God gave us what we desired. But now I don't know for the last couple of years. I've never heard anything about him apart from one thing. How he's making money. For the church. Still a leader but oh the money he's making. This just got a business mind you know. Oh yeah you might say well it's needed you know. For the missionaries. for the No. Sir. No, sir. I'd love to hear the day again that somebody says how souls are coming to God through his life. Just his life. You judge me? Careful. Just wait now. Just wait now to see where we're at. Moses warned the people that if they choose a king, and he 
didn't know it, but God knew they would. So God had to give through Moses faithfully to record now what he really wanted the people to take note of to the end. If they ever choose a king one day, he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that they should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Don't go back to Egypt, to its way of prosperity, to its values of what true prosperity is, or wealth. Oh, how many people were tempted to get off the king's highway to survive financially. So many full-time workers for God are full-time workers now for money and prosperity. Their full-time calling to preach has been buried to be full-time workers for money. And they say it's God's will. It isn't. It isn't. I was preaching in our capital, in our nation, in one of the largest churches in our country a while back. A godly man who's the chief or the head pastor who I've known for the years, he asked me, but he had a co-pastor who I've also known for years. And we had breakfast at some restaurant the last day of the series of meetings where all the throngs came many were seeking God in that series of meetings but these two pastors and their wives took me to breakfast and the head pastor said what I had preached the night before how staggering it was and he began to mention the words how I had said Being in the pulpit does not make you immune to sin and evil. Being in God's service does not mean you are holy or protected. Unless you have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, you could bring such shame on God that this nation will stagger if God were to allow the lid to be taken off your life to reveal what you're in unless you are in a relationship with God that's so vital and real, being a preacher just means you've got higher to fall and more shame to bring on God. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, not whosoever preacheth. And that's a discipline above every discipline in life to be able to do that and have that written across your life every step you take through the day. You have to meet with him in the morning and the night. Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fill the, and fulfill not the lust of the flesh. Literally, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Who shall abideth in him sinneth not. Outside of that, you have no victory. You're a danger naming the name of Christ if you don't discipline yourself to walk in the Spirit, to have such a vital relationship with Christ in the only way we know how. Meditating the Word of God until God comes and speaks and renews you day by day. No matter how old you get, the spiritual never ages, never gets frail, stronger and stronger. I said these words. If God were to take the lid off the life of a preacher who's not abiding in Christ, who's walking with God in vital relationship, the shock that will 
go across this nation will reverberate for years, bringing shame on God's name. This minister mentioned it. The other co-pastor suddenly pushed his food across the table and sat back and looked at his wife. His wife looked at him. Every one of them. I can't eat this. I'm sorry. I have to go. He got up. I knew something was wrong. His head pastor knew more than me. Something is wrong. That he couldn't sit past that statement of what I'd said being revealed and just mentioned. Two days later, our whole nation knew something was wrong. There was not a newspaper in our nation that didn't have the front line, the front headlines beyond any other war going on in the East, the Middle East. And the devil knew just how to do that. He waited. He bided his time for circumstances. This man, they thought, had been hijacked. This pastor of a godly, great church, co-pastor, yes, but the country, the police, the whole nation on their knees to save because so many people are destroyed, killed, murdered, raped by hijackings. Cars are taken, pushed off the side of the road, taken. Their bodies found lying dead. My wife and child are there hardly a day goes by. This isn't heard in our country. In our city. Africa is something. He wasn't hijacked. The whole world prank, the whole police force out, everything going. Where can we find any of it? What's the, where have they taken it? What have they done? Well, he was found. And the devil knew how oh, just to create the circumstance that his wife and people thought he was hijacked so that the whole world is aware of him. Disappeared like that. Gone. He was found in a casino. You know why he was there? He was so desperate because he had taken money from where he shouldn't have taken money because he believed he didn't have enough money to do what he believed he wanted to do for God. And so he took and he couldn't replace. So he took from other sources and other sources until he was so desperate he started going to gambling dens as a preacher. No one is watching, only God, but he doesn't matter anymore. That's how far you can do from God, though you're in the pulpit. So long as no one else sees, I might just get it all back and be able to replace before I'm in terrible trouble. So he's got money from sources of God's people's pockets and sacrifices. And of course, the gruesome details. The devil was so in time, so waiting, biding, knowing what he's doing, knowing how to wait, knowing waiting for his moment that the whole world... He can do the most damage. You think that just all happened by mistake? The whole nation's looking for him. The whole nation's praying, fasting even, suddenly. Praying through the night. Groups. And then they all find out the man they're groaning for has been living in such sin. Such terrifying sin because of money. Because of greed. Because of wanting more. Not being content as a pastor with such things as God gave him. Sir, if you have need, in your own eyes. Paul did too. 
But he didn't say, God's forsaken me. I gotta go out and do something the way the world gets the money. I gotta now divert from God's way. There's one way. This way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, sir. I do admit there's occasions. If you've got a good business mind, you might be able to do certain things. There's something, but 99.99999% that I'd ever heard of was not of God. And it brought shame, eventually, to God's kingdom, not help. When men buried their calling and started trying to make money because God wasn't giving them enough, there was something wrong with them. Listen, in case you judge me, I aged a few years in those few weeks from that night. I aged because of that man. A few years, don't doubt it. You know what made Samuel a man of God when he condemned Saul? He condemned what Saul did. It so went from God's purposes, God's will, God's commandments. Such a defiance of God's way. He condemned him totally, publicly. But you know what made Samuel a man of God? The next verse says, Samuel wept for Saul the whole night. Do you? You just condemn and go to bed. You're more of a grief to God than the man you condemned. Just be careful when you judge. Samuel had the right to. The next verse tells us how right he was when he condemned the man. I wept and aged at that man's sin. And let me shock you even more, in case you're condemning me. I don't give up on anyone. Anyone. I don't care how much of my nation has given up on him and don't want him back in the pulpit. I expect God to meet him again. Because I know this God's perfect compassion and grace is beyond all comprehension. And I trust in it for that man even. And I'm the one maybe left that's praying for it and expecting it. But I want it. And I'm waiting for it. I haven't given up on him, sir. You see, he wanted more than what God gave him. He wasn't content and got on with the job with what God gave him. He had to take money from where he shouldn't have in a sinful way and put it into means by which he thought God could honor or would be honored that defy conscience because that's the devil's territory. And you don't go there. You don't divert there. You stay on God's way. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then the Holy God will be obliged. He cannot deny himself. All these things that you need shall be added unto you, given, not withheld, little, from.
from you. God promises. But for God's sake, be content with such things as he gives you. Because that's what you need, brother, sister. And you'll be stunned. Go to the rich to see how miserable they are. (laughs) In case you think riches are going to give you happiness. You just be happy with what God sees you need because that's what you need, brother. And you can stay right with God there, but not if you get too rich. Those God can trust, he'll trust because he won't, they won't let them stand in the way. Oh, how many preachers and godly were diverted off the king's way. Oh, how many godly preachers and godly were diverted off the king's way because they took a second look. Because they didn't and they weren't abiding in Christ. Otherwise, they couldn't have taken a second look. You are incapable of a second look if you're abiding in Christ. David did not sin by seeing what the devil showed him. David was a man after God's own heart. But he took a second look at what the devil was showing him. Now, beloved, you have not sinned at the most vile, defiling, filth and pornography the devil has on display virtually in every bookstore before you get past the counter. You want to see me turning them upside down until they throw me out. Doesn't matter. At least they know there's one person left on earth that's agonizing at their filth that they call art. That second look is impossible to the man that devours the word of God as his greatest delight in life. But if it isn't, you will look second. Listen, it doesn't say David took the second look and the living little leaven, living with the whole lump. Soon he was an adulterer and then a murderer. Though he had been a man after God's own heart, he was an adulterer and he committed murder. Though he had been a man after God's own heart as no man ever. Before David was Simpson. In the Old Testament. Of kings. So we're supposed to say, well, he wasn't on the front line of the battlefield. He should have been busy there where he was belonging. No, that has nothing to do with why he fell. The rest of the scriptures tell us why he fell. That's why you've got to look at everything, even David's fall in the light of the rest of the scriptures. There's one reason he fell. That man who told us to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord, that man who told us, thy word have I hid within my heart that I might not sin against thee. That man who gave us these psalms, that man who was in touch with God and loved this book, loved the word of God more than gold and treasures that was of valued, that man who said these words, one thing's for sure, he was neglecting this book. He wasn't abiding in Christ. He wasn't communing with God. Somehow that stopped, or he would not have been capable of looking a second look at what the devil was saying. Look. 
You are incapable, sir, of that second look if this book is your greatest delight in life. The devil cannot touch you, young man, if this book is your source of survival daily. But David, man after God's own heart right now, 2,000 more years later, you will still be bringing blaspheme on the God you once served like that. If you don't allow yourself to be consumed in the one thing God says will keep you. Abiding in Him. Walking in the Spirit. A vital relationship with Him. No matter who you are, that will happen. That will happen. The great tragic diversions, we must be careful not to just look at them, the things that shock us, like David and that man in my country, and your once famous, world-famous singer and preacher. The great tragic diversions we all get shocked at. But what about the small diversions that really cause, that open the doors for the great diversions? Life, beloved, can easily be filled with diversions from God. My great goal should be daily, one step at a time, to walk before God, to walk with God. Whatsoever ye do, do with all your heart and soul as unto the Lord. That's my goal. Oh, God, when I first started off, how I longed to walk with thee. I longed to be used of God. Forgive me, God, as if a preacher, longing to be used of God, I somehow have neglected God himself for God's work to such a degree that I don't walk with God because of God's work. When you first go on this road, the King's Way, your only desire is to walk with God, not to be diverted. You don't want to impress anyone. Remember those first steps when you sang a hymn? It didn't matter who heard you harmonizing. All that mattered is God knew. I couldn't say these words but to God. It didn't matter that anybody saw you neglecting to testify. You couldn't hold back. You so loved God, it didn't matter if no one was watching. You would just tell where you could. There was nothing to impress, to do the right thing in the right time, in the right way to impress. You know it can get so bad. That God says all their works they do for to be seen of men. Nothing's left of me. That can happen to you. What a terrible, terrible, stooping, degrading diversion from what you 
were once. Even when you sang, even when you shut the door in your home for a quiet time, it wasn't to impress your children. You didn't even think of them seeing whether you're faithful. It was for God. Everything was for God. Whether you sang, whether you read, whatever you did with your time. Oh, how many have diverted from walking before God only. Now they walk only before men or they wouldn't do it. Even the standard outwardly you keep, the places you say you won't go, the books you say you won't read. If people are not watching, tell me. Will you look? Oh, it doesn't matter. The only one watching it is God. He doesn't matter anymore. What matters is people, they're not watching. Tell me. Is even your convictions only for men? Or you wouldn't keep them if no man is watching? If your children aren't watching? If people aren't watching, what's on that box? that you say you can have in your house? <laughs> When the children are there, oh! Oh! I mean, how far are you? What is a stench worse than the stench of a hypocrite to God who says he loves God, but all he loves is the impression of man? He's so diverted from pleasing God, there's nothing left. Nothing but stench of hypocrisy to God in heaven. Oh, what a sickening fall. We can divert while we profess to know Christ from the king's way. Be sure of this, child of God, be sure of this. If we divert to a life of busyness, even if it's God's work, and start neglecting God, forsaking the times and the time we should be spending and could be spending, if we divert from the reality that only comes and only is witnessed if this is our greatest delight in life, if we divert from deep communing with God that is only possible from meditating the scriptures, if we divert from such a tender walk with God, then God will allow swift devastation to befall you. I guarantee every one of you, even if you're a teenage boy or girl, or if you're a preacher, if you're a missionary, or if you're the moderator or president of a denomination, God will allow swiftly devastation to befall you. People will turn from you, even your own family, until you're left with nobody but God. And you start from rock bottom, just God. If you do another thing, it's just for him now, because God will so take everything away from you, sir. I guarantee to you. God is not interested in our work. For him, if it makes us neglect our walk with him, it becomes sin. God's work is evil. It is sin. If it makes you very God.
Beware, many diversions can be so subtle. A diversion can be interpreted, a diversion can be interpreted correctly, though unknowingly, an excursion from God. And eventually could become an exclusion of God. An elimination of communing with or walking with God. Healthy diversions, legitimate diversions, necessary diversions, if not guarded with your life, can drown God out of your life one day. good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. What do you treasure? What are you filling up in the reservoir of your heart? Answer God. Because that's what will come out, sir. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, if there be any virtue in their context, anything that can build up you and your relationship to God and integrity between you and God, think on these things. Allow your mind to accommodate such things only. Whatsoever things are pure, when you put your music on, young people, whatsoever things are lovely, And you dare to look at that box, you that have it, in the house. And say you, there's good things, you know, there's legitimate things. I dare you, put up a big sign on top of the little screen. Make it the same size as the screen. Give God a chance. <laughs> right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. If there be any virtue, think, allow your mind to accommodate such things. And then, with the dawn, let your children watch you defy Christ openly. When you look at profanity, blasphemy, moral decadence as entertainment. Christianity is not just avoiding doing wrong. It is seeking positively to do good. You overcome evil with good, God says. In our country and yours, years ago, our governments, through strict censorship, out of fear of God, over televisions, films, books, magazines, videos, etc., protected us. That's gone now. There is no protection from any government left on earth. Don't lie and tell me there is. There's too much money and filth. You want to say it's bad for the children. Huh. And yet the grown-ups can do it. Good grief, sir. You're insane to think the children won't want what you want. You're your father, for God's sake. The protection is gone now, but it is no excuse 
Now we have to protect ourselves as individuals. Don't blame lack of censorship if your choice is to watch defiling things or read defiling books or go to defiling places. Don't black blame peer pressure for your choice of moral evil in even music. You chose it. Don't dare tell anyone on earth, because God won't listen to you, that you were forced because everybody else was doing it. Look, if there's not one person left on earth that isn't compromising, I have no excuse to compromise. I will not. Even if I'm ostracized, condemned as some legalistic, separationist, judgmental, insane, lawish, I have no excuse. I don't have to compromise. And I won't. By God's grace. Don't blame the governments for your evils, your compromises, your diversions of the king's way. Until the end, sir. God is a liar if you don't get all the grace you need to be holy. You are as holy as you want to be. Mr. Will McFarlane said, the godliest man I ever knew, it shook me, it shook everyone, enraged theologians. But after nearly 40 years of pursuing God with all my heart, it's true. Replace evil friends with good friends. Replace evil music with good music. Until your mind is conditioned to love good things and hate evil, to love the good, to hate the evil. Replace novels, trash literature with good Christian biographies. Replace immoral and impure films and videos with Christian films. If you have to have some films or videos, go to Moody Science. or some biographies being put over, even if it isn't Hollywood standard of a acting, etc., but it's put by godly people of Wesley's life, Finney's life. Replace. Don't clean out your life and then get ten times worse because you left a gap. Overcome evil with good. Good literature is good. It's edifying to a degree. It's even necessary for our education. It's not sin. It's vital. Good literature that isn't this is vital. But if it keeps you from God's Word and the place God's Word should have in your life daily. It is sin. And you will land up in evil no matter who you are. Maybe not in your own eyes but in God and others' eyes. Young Susanna Wesley Charles and John Wesley's mother spent hours studying the Scriptures and other edifying literature, but she purposely avoided novels and similar books which could and would not contribute to her spiritual growth. Look, don't judge her until your children have turned the world upside down for God. Until then, please don't judge her. Please, don't stoop to that hypocrisy. A godly Jeanette van den Berger, woman I know, godly people I stay with who love Christ. She said it's her salvation. Her life had been drowned in novels to fill up the gap. 
that she vowed to God from that day that she would only read spiritual books. She would redeem the time to read the book above all books. And if anything diverted her, it would be to edify her spiritually because she suddenly realized how little time she's got left and God's got left to make her all she should be. Martin Luther Hours before he died, he said these words. And let me tell you something. When a man like that is dying, he says words we should listen to. A man who shook the whole world. Martin Luther lay dying and said, I have written over 60,000 documents and books about this book. I have written over 60,000. You see, the printing press came right then at the Reformation. It was no mistake. It was God. They wanted him dead. So he was hidden. He was literally kidnapped by Godly. But the printing press was there and all he did was write. And all right then God gave the world the printing press. And they couldn't kill him. This wild boar, the Pope says, <laughs> Kill him! <laughs> Sorry, Pope. But that's history. You'll never bury it. Apart from those who don't want truth and want to get back to the darkness of what you once made the world. You even forbade them to read this book lest they don't listen to you. Luther said, I have written over 60,000 documents and books about this book since my salvation. But if I had one Desire granted me from God before I die. It is this one singular thing that everything would be burned before I die that I have written. Why? Because I have seen something I have started. That one day will escalate out of all control in this world. I have seen people diverted from the book to read books about the book, but to neglect the book itself. Let's put our feet down on the ground, you see. Let's be down to earth, and you can be on a fire for God, but your fire is not of God unless you write two feet on the ground, solid with common sense. And practical outworking. Of course there's good spiritual books that you and I need and thank God for. I would be poor if it hadn't been for Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I would be poor, so would you, without the godly Andrew Murray's writings, the depth of such men as this. There are writings you and I can Read. Of course, Luther wasn't saying ultimately that we don't need the protection of those who study to show themselves approved so the babes in Christ can grow and not take years of diversions. Doctrinally, in a devastating world, in a cruel world, in a dangerous territory, of course we can learn and be protected by doctrinal books written by the godliest men that ever lived. Of course, the novels 
not the novels, the biographies of these men's lives help us to identify and to see how to walk and what give us create thirst to do the same, to turn the world upside down. Of course God uses them. What? The day they take more time than you give this. The day you neglect this for books about the book, you choose second best on God's highway. And you will look, beginning in your home, second best of what God intended man to be. Be careful. Nothing, nothing, not even books about the book, must take the place of the book. How many times have you read through this book? Answer God. Three chapters a day. Fifteen minutes. That's slow reading. In one year, just three chapters a day, you through the whole Bible. It's impossible. That's fifteen minutes of twenty-four hours. If you didn't give God fifteen minutes, if you haven't been through this book from cover to cover. Shame on you, child of God. Shame on you that you name the name of Jesus. And bring disgrace in him because that's what your life is beginning in your home if you didn't consume this book day and night, redeeming the time, delighting it above every single thing so that everything fades into insignificance, that it could interest you, that nothing has drawing power. Because when you write with God, this book, this book is your delight. Six chapters a day. Three in the morning. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Put a mark. Three in the night. Matthew 1, 2, and 3. Put a mark. Tomorrow, Genesis 4, 5, 6. Put the marker. The night, Matthew 4, 5, 6. Thirty minutes a day. That's slow reading. I'm not talking about Psalm 119. Just three chapters. Morning, three of the night. In one year, you're twice through the book. In ten years, you're twenty times through the book. I know so many people who've been through this book over 400 times. I've lost track. But each one, each one, Sean, Sean, and like Moses, they weren't aware of it. I knew men who walked into rooms, into churches. I knew a man who walked into a church. The whole church stood. And you want to know something? I didn't know why we were all standing. But I knew it was for something about this man that just shot. You stagger the powers of hell to the degree you soaked yourself in this book. Not to the degrees that you got from universities about this book. Reading philosophies and men's understanding, explaining away things even. I know men who've read through this book 600 times for Jesus. The first man that read through over 400 times I ever spoke to, I was surprised. I said, 400 times? How did you do that? And he shouted at me, thank God. How is it possible not to if you are saved as many years as I am? What did you do with life? Shame on the man 
saved as many years as I who hasn't been through 420 times. He wasted his life. I guarantee you, my boy, he was a grief to God and man. Daily. I preached about this, you know, three chapters a day. And a little boy, his name's Packy. I don't know if you hear Packy. I happen to preach in front of people these days that I get a fright when I see that they <laughs> Little Packy. Spora. He heard, so he decided in his heart to get through the Bible in a year. Little boy. Decided. The while went by. He's driving a car now. Picks me up to take me to some town. Little Packy. And his face shining. Overflowing with God's grace and wisdom and discernment and depth and maturity. This little thing now. I said to his mother, your son, he's so godly. That two hours drive was about the most precious time of the whole tour of America. Just with that boy in that car, listening to God, the wisdom God's given him, the discernment, the faith. She said, you know why, Brother Keith? He heard you as a little boy say this about reading the Bible too. I was in his room and I looked over him and his knees and I said, Oh, Packy, you're reading the exact same chapter Mother did this morning. Are you doing what the pastor said? This system of getting through the Bible here, there and everywhere with in one year? You're the same place. You're trying to get through in one year? And he said, no, Mother. This is my third time through this year. It's possible, young children. Don't wait till you're old and 60 years old to stagger the world, to stagger your home, to stagger preachers from the other side of the world. Just soak yourself in the Scriptures and every step you take eventually staggers the powers of hell that they scream in fear of what's going to happen to you. You be an example of the believers, you young boy, young girls. Don't wait till you're old to do that. Just soak yourself in the scriptures and watch how God does it. By the way, just to be honest, there is good literature. Just to be truthful, there is really good educational literature and good English literature. There's such things, historical books, there are such things that really are not wasting of your time. Even identifying with history of the church, but it's not exactly about the book and it's not exactly the book. But I don't condemn you, and I don't believe God condemns you for educating your child with what is necessary. Otherwise, he'll walk out there unequipped to face anything in reality. Don't do that. That's not spiritual. If it's necessary, if it's good, there is good Christian, good literature, English literature, that's not Christian orientated. Not based on the Bible, written. There is. And it's vital for education, much of this. But teach your child and teach yourself that these things become a curse as much as you can delight in them. 
if they take away the delight this book should be, and you delight it in all these others, even if it's Shakespeare himself, it'll be a curse. tell you something about this book the more you read it the more thrilling it becomes I want to guarantee you that young people read it through the first time I wept my way the whole Bible virtually I wept my I couldn't I wept I wept page upon page second time third time tenth time get through it four hundred times I want to shock you every time you get through it it's Twice as exciting. Get through 400 times. I guarantee you, if you're right with God and you read with the right motive, it's 400 times more exciting and enthralling than the first time. No other book can do that for you. Not Shakespeare, not Dickens, nobody of great literary ability can do that. But this book, every time, you want to know why? Because the first time you read, you're limited just to the page. The second time, you're not. You're limited to the page plus the understanding of all so much written about these things with the rest of the Bible. The third time, the tenth time, the four hundredth time, as you read one verse, the whole Bible's coming together on the everything, just fling, comparing Scripture with Scripture. The first time you read through the He begat Him, and He begat Him, He begat Him, and ooh, and it's just going to end now. Oh! No, 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 no. I want to get back to the David and Goliaths and the... Oh, well, the preacher said to me, I've got to read everything as it comes to reason. So, oh, I want to tell you something that will shock you. Get through again and again and again and again and again and you're more excited about the baguettes than you are about the David and Goliath story. You don't know why? Because suddenly you know the rest of the scriptures and you know that name means that. And that name that God led his parents to give him was his whole life. You see the sovereignty of God, the summary of a whole life. You see something enthralling in just the name. His whole life in his name that his parents gave him. You get so enthralled, there's no ending to the thrill of every single page in this book. Every single word becomes thrilling. Things you think are dead, just betweens, you know, or suddenly just get through more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Beloved. A black lady from the Congo came into a meeting a few months ago, maybe, in Africa. She looked like royalty. When she walked in, everybody knew somebody of an incredible background just walked into that building. The way she was dressed in the traditional dress, yes, but she walked. And yet her face looked good. Her robe, she sat. There was wealth, such as few in Africa know. Afterwards, little tears coming down her face. She speaks in French. She broken English, but she understood the message. And she said, you know, I just knew I had to come to this building. I just knew I had to come here. And then she said, 
I have a problem. My father is godly. He brought me to Christ. Back in the Congo, in the Zaire now, they changed the name. But since I come to your country, something terrible has happened. I battle to pray. I struggle to pray like I used to pray back home. I used to have times I could get through to God, but I'm battling, I'm struggling. At times I, I can hardly say a word. I just don't know what, I, like I'm just dead. What's wrong with me? I said one thing, not to, you neglecting the Bible. You see, prayer, there's two types. Crisis prayer. <laughs> I've got to pray. I'm in trouble. <laughs> And praying in the Spirit. And you know how that comes, sir, lady, child? As you meditate the Scriptures, God speaks. And when God speaks to you, you start speaking with Him. The communing of God. That's in the level that God wants. Not when things go wrong that He lets happen if you don't speak. If you don't meditate. You start speaking about the things that matter to God. And you, as he speaks, start speaking back. And a two-way conversation develops when you meditate the scriptures. Never when you just read it in a hurry, for conscience sake, five minutes. Only when this is your great delight. You develop a prayer life that no other human on earth will know but that man who meditates the word day and night. He is in tender communing with God in true prayer. Outside of that, you don't know how to pray unless you're in trouble from the heart. For God doesn't look at the word that proceeds out of the mouth. He looks at the heart from whence they come. Outside of that, you haven't prayed anything but a grief, really. Oh, beloved. My father. His life shook this world. Oh, I worship God for my father. The memory of him. He's been dead years. And he's been used more now, his testimony, than ever before in his life across this world. You see, he being dead yet speaketh because of everybody that knew him, including his sons, which both preached and shared the things of what God in, did in and through him. My father soaked himself in the word of God as his greatest desire and love in life daily from the day he was saved. The one mark written across my daddy's life with nothing on this earth and no one would keep him from God and from meditating and devouring the scriptures as he went again and again through it. Hours with God. Hours with God. My father only once to my memory lost God's joy and peace that literally staggered me. He had such joy, such peace as a result for great peace have they which love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. You'll be offended in just about everything if you don't love the word of God as your greatest love. Of course it's God you love, but it's his word, his voice, literally. My father lost his peace and darkness came over him. and We all looked from a distance. And daddy stood up and told once, he told this world why. He said, a day came when I closed this book with this legitimate good reason to pick up books about the heretical sects and erroneous faiths so that I could 
say to a Jehovah Witness who comes to my door, Come in! I'm ready! <laughs> Not to say, oh, because I didn't know what to say. To say to the Mormons, to say to the Seventh-day Adventists, etc. Sit. So I learned about all their diversions from truth, all their heretical beliefs, all they deny, how to answer them. And I devoured, I was in my heart wanting to be equipped with all these things so I could be used of God. Until suddenly I just found I was so grieving in my heart. I lost peace, I lost joy, I became heavy, I became downcast, I became deeply depressive. And God whispered in my heart one day, put all this down. Go back to this. Don't let anything, not even what you think is legitimately necessary for you to be equipped to be used of God, don't neglect this while you're busy doing it. Or you'll be depressed so that nobody, not even a Jehovah Witness, wants what you've got. Though you've got the answers. Of course there's place to learn, to be equipped so that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Of course there's studying to show yourself approved outside of this book. But let me tell you something. Even if it's with the right motive, if it makes you bury this book or neglect this book, you will end up losing God's peace, God's joy, and the, the presence of God. Even though it's about the things of God, it's not the word of God. You cannot be diverted from this book to anything that will not harm you eventually if it makes you neglect this you're in trouble the day you do, even if you go to the greatest theological evangelical seminar on earth that makes you read books upon books upon books about this book, you'll be destroyed, not made, if they keep you from this book. Oh, for God's sake, you people in the seminars, don't give them all the books about this book. Make them spend five, six, seven years with this book and they'll turn the whole world upside down. All you're doing now is making them... Wonderful doctrine, dead. You want to see a man ablaze for God? I dare you, you, you faculties, you theological places, I dare you. Stop it just for a few years and make them just soak themselves in the Bible and I guarantee you your whole denomination will turn upside down through that generation going up. Church of Christ, we must be careful not to be diverted into the devil's territory. We must be careful not to be diverted into the devil's territory with music. The evangelical church across most of the world today is divided. The evangelical church across most of the world today is divided not by doctrinal differences anymore but by the music. You know just where you are and how safe you are by what music's going on. I guarantee you, you're in danger if the world's music is in front of the greatest evangelical preacher on earth. If it starts with the world's music, anything tainted with what this world's music has become, it's so devilish. You should run. The evangelical church worldwide is finding people bypassing in their multitudes hundreds of evangelical churches to get to one church that the music doesn't devour them and wipe them out and devastate them before they even get to hear the word of God they destroyed. 
because of the world's music. They want God's music. Oh, you will get the crowds, the godless. You will get the world if you want to win the world by the world. You can't win the world, Leonard Ravenhill said, by being like the world. All that will happen is the world will win you. All you have is the world comfortable with what you give them because you're giving what the world wants, the world's music. Oh, you walk into some churches today and I got to run out literally screaming. I was saved from that. Don't tell me to preach in your pulpit. It's like going back into the devil's nightclubs. The only difference they look the same. They sway the same. They're even beginning to dance. You give them dance music. What do you want? You say it's dancing in the spirit. Huh. Watch it. 99.9999999999% of anything that through music makes people's bodies sway is sensual. You say I'm wrong. You say I'm judgmental. Wait till you see God in one moment, sir, and ask him again. Then you and I can talk until then. Please leave me alone. When it comes to music that makes men dance in the spirit. Those people normally talk about vomiting in the spirit and laughing in the spirit and goodness knows what. You've got to find something new with itching ears. Nothing but the truth is accepted. We've just got to find something new even if it's obnoxious to common sense and conscience that God could have attached himself to such depravity. You'll stoop to anything once you start diverting from this book. Oh, be careful with this music, sir. I've been in Christian book rooms where I've ran out. I needed a book. I needed it badly for follow-up or something. And I had to run out to the music. And oh, almost all those book rooms, Jenny doesn't know. They've run out after me because they know who I am in my country. Oh, Mr. Daniels, didn't, couldn't we help you or something? No! You're playing the devil's music and I can't survive being in your book room. I'll find another one. Somebody's got to tell them. We're all so scared today we don't tell them. Oh, beloved. Step one. To losing everything in an evangelical church is who you allow to take control of the music. The day you allow the youth to bring the world's music in because they say that's the way we'll keep the youth. I guarantee you the next thing, the clothes, guaranteed. Reverence for God's house rep will be seen in the next thing. The word. I guarantee you, just start with the music. Just let the world's music in. I guarantee every single one of you, look at how they're dressing now. They may as well be going to the beach. There's no reverence in anything. The reverence or fear of God goes when the world's music comes in. next thing this loses itself age you don't talk about sin 
your name. You don't talk about hell. You don't talk about damnation. You don't cry, turn or burn like the old preachers did. You burn if you say that today in most of the churches. The next thing, if you have one iota of reality between you and God ever again, you become conscious all you've got is the world and the church. Because what's left of the church is so in the world, the world doesn't know the difference. But music, I guarantee you, stops that. I heard that Bill Goth had lost most, perhaps 90% of his following of preachers and evangelical churches in America through one thing, mostly this, when he said no to the world's music. So he lost it all. Now he sits with hundreds instead of the 70,000. And I met him. And I said to him, Mr. Gothard, do you know why I got excited when I heard that you wanted me to preach? It's Bill Gothard. I wanted to be the man that was willing to lose the crowds but not his standard. Not to compromise with the world. And let me tell you something. 99.9999999999% of every accusation against Bill Gothard is go to the people who are making those accusations and you'll see why. Because he has them crawling in shame so they've got us undermine and lie and twist and everything. Like they tried to catch Jesus in doing anything. Because their consciences were... Thank God for a man who doesn't compromise. Young people, if you have these things on and you know your mommy and daddy dare not hear what's going on because it's of the devil. Just look at the faces of the little... You tell me if it isn't the devil. Just look at their faces. Then argue. If you're listening to blaspheme, if you're listening to moral decadence, if you're listening to profanity, if you're listening to sensual, sexual depravity on music, forgive me, God have mercy on the children hearing it, but they know, don't deny it, don't think they're going to be defiled. I beg you. I beg you, burn it. Don't give it away. Because until you do, you will never, ever walk with God. And let me tell you something, young man, young girl. You bury the one thing that can honestly satisfy you in life, to walk with God. For that. Shame on you that you wasted what was possible to walk with God because of the devil's music. I preached once. You know, they had a flaming fire of 60 feet of flames that caused an uproar in the town. CDs, DVDs, tapes of all these devilish things. Young people from godly homes, many of them were said they admitted burning it. Because, and they went on till two o'clock in the morning. Hundreds that came out seeking God, weeping, and one after the other testifying. I admitted it to myself. I'll never ever walk in truth with Jesus Christ until I get rid of this music. This is the one thing that keeps me even if it's got Jesus' name in some of the music, if it's the devil's music, trust me, you're finished. 
I dare you to take up good music. You know, classical music is not all sin. Some is. <laughs> Depends who wrote it. But if it's pure, if it's, condition yourself. Think, allow yourself. You see, what you listen to, and I guarantee you this young person, you listen to satanic music which is written and performed by satanic people who don't even deny they're satanists performing and writing words to say, you listen at first. It's ugly. But what you allow yourself to listen to, eventually you condition yourself until you enjoy Satan's music, I guarantee you. What you allow yourself to listen to, guard yourself, don't. If it's not pure, if it's not lovely, if it's not building you up in virtue, don't listen to it. I dare you to listen to some good classical music. It's beautiful until you enjoy it. By the way, just to be honest, I did like classical music when I got saved. It was such a breath of fresh air from the rubbish I was listening to. But I don't anymore. I don't mind hearing Pavarotti when I'm in the airport. <laughs> His voice coming over some loudspeaker. Better than whatever else there is. But if I have a choice, I only listen to hymns now. Does that make me trying to be holier than thou? No. I just want to be honest. I... I feel like something's been wasted if I've got time to listen to any music if it isn't God's music. The great hymns of our faith with great young orchestras and choirs of youth singing from their souls that lift my spirit up into God's presence. I find it very hard to listen to classical since I found that music can do that to me. It's not sin, like novels on sin. Like good Christian literature is in sin. Like good, what do you call these things? Videos and DVDs about John Wesley's whole life. It is not sin. But I prefer to do things that are so centered around God. Oh, I've said it a bit back to front, okay? That's like things of interest, that's legitimate, good, wonderful. It's not sin. But the older you get, the less time you've got to live if you want, if you're going to wake up in the morning. <laughs> the more you're so careful about what you spend time doing is centered around Jesus Christ himself, sanctified and godly. And music, music, oh, be careful. Be careful. Church of Jesus Christ, we can become so diverted By wanting to be seen as successful as congregations and denominations that we don't care anymore about being faithful. So we swiftly stoop to become like the world, to win the world, to keep the world so long as we're successful. Doesn't matter about being faithful. To the evangelical churches who have left the king's way, for survival to embrace that which works to draw and keep the crowds, the youth even if it means throwing aside separation from the world and calling that legalism and laws, bondage and judgmental even if it means throwing aside pure doctrine uncompromising declaration of the word of God it loses its sharp edge of the sword because once we've got what we've got, the world we dare not preach what they're living It'll make them go. So we stop what God says. Oh, 
No matter what we stoop to, it doesn't matter anymore to be faithful, just successful. Even if there's no difference left between us and the world at all. Just the building. Don't divert into Hollywood's territory. Movies. The devil will do anything to get God people back to the cinemas. So, every now and again, he'll do something outrageous, like get some fellow from Hollywood to make a deeply religious film about Jesus. That'll cause great controversy even. Listen, brother, no good thing ever came from Hollywood. No good thing will ever come from Hollywood. If of the 99.99999% of the thousands of fools defile, even children's fools, divert into witchcraft, whatever, we say it's innocent witches. Ha! Good witches, good wizards, since when they're all damned. Let alone told by children you can have good witches or wizards. Damn them, God says. Damned! Stone them! You're in danger as a nation. Let alone tolerate them and tell our children these are good wizards. You are of Satan demonically possessed if you're a wizard or a witch. In reality. And the children of God can never identify with you or say there's such a thing as a good one. So even children's from the day Hollywood decides of all the depravity and the filth and the pornography and the defilement and the moral decadence and the upholding of evil men as heroes and good men as fools. And so every now and again, something happens now. They're going to make something about Jesus. And so we all stoop and we come. You know what the devil's doing? He's just giving your children something, a taste of the impact of the technical. It blows them up. How can you expect them? What have we got to compare with as far as the technical things in Christianity? No. All he's doing is saying, taste. And I guarantee you, you take them to those places and they taste, they'll want it. It creates a thirst. They'll want to get back even the day they get old enough that they can get out of your sight. Pow! No matter what they watch. They watch the impact that was given through a religious film. And by the way, even if it's about Jesus, give it time and you'll find it's heresy if it came from Hollywood. If you're honest, it's total heresy in its ultimate presentation. And just watch the man that made it. Watch his life for a while. Sir. The devil will make sure the whole world even knows about that. Hollywood. There is no such a thing as venturing near its presentation to the world as a media. Sir. Lady, and I dare you, if you're doing it, to stand up in just a year after you started and tell me you walk with God. You lie. You can't. You can't. You can't. If you go into the devil's territory, you are not walking with God and you chose to go where the godless go. 
And I guarantee you, you become as addicted as a drug addict. And as destroyed as a drug addict, not physically. But morally and spiritually. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. We all know it. It was written to the Jews about Israel. But no, it was written for one reason, for it wouldn't have been in the Bible. It was written for you and me right now, if my people, who are called by my name, ever come to a place where the salt has lost its savor. You that are the salt of the earth, the only hope of preserving it from decadence and moral, if you go into its territories, if you divert, if you've lost your effectiveness, Wherewith shall it be salt? What can God do? You're good for nothing but to be cast out, trampled on the foot of men, which is what's happening most of the evangelical world. Men don't want it. They just laugh. They just mock. They just walk over you. It doesn't impact. It doesn't thirst. Create a thirst because you like them. They're so compromising, they don't want it. But I guarantee you, if my people who are called by my name of any generation even just before he comes, in any land, especially the lands that once served him and feared him, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and confess their sins and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You know, America has one danger, not Islam, the Christians, incapable of doing that because if this land will ever be healed, it won't be through your governments bringing back censorship. If this land is destroyed, it's because the Christians couldn't humble themselves in such a way that God saw them plowing up the fellow ground because it's time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon us and he will, he's wholly obligated to and there's a desperate need at times in generations such as right now for the people of God to humble themselves to plow up the fellow ground to seek the Lord, it's time, it's desperately time to seek you see if Christians don't do this fast in America, my country and others you will be scared to walk out of your front door one day to what's coming. And it wasn't the government, it wasn't Islam, it was the church that didn't bow because if they did, God would forgive. And what healed their land? You think economically? Back to no drought? No. That word in its context in the light of what God says in the light of all scriptures, what he does through his people when they write with God. And they get on their knees driven because they're right with God. And they grow and the burden of the Lord comes upon them. God will heal the land through them, beginning on what the time they spend in their knees, let alone the steps they take, beginning in their home of righteous, godly, uncompromising people. What will happen to this land? Oh, God have mercy. What will happen to this land if the people of God don't? Fast. Because it's the only hope America has that the church of Jesus Christ, that which is left, gets back to God and stops diverting off the king's way. And each as individuals and denominations live this because it's their greatest delight.
God because. I want to ask every single one of you sitting here now, no matter who you are, young person, preachers, older, missionaries, youth leaders, I want to ask every single one of you who know that God is speaking to you and you need to say, God, forgive me, forgive me for what I've done. And you need the blood desperately and you need to ask God's forgiveness for the diversions of the king's way. On any level, music, anything, anything, anything God's touched on. It's kept you from the thing that matters. And you're willing to say, God, forgive me. And God, by thy grace, I vow, by thy grace and thy grace alone, I will endeavor from this next step I take to the day I die to never neglect this book and to make it my greatest guarded, protected, nurtured venture of life daily till the day I die from this night by thy grace. Those of you that desperately need to say that to God, will you stand, please? All who stand, will you come and kneel? Or come just stand in the front. Let's make something sacred here. Those of you that are uncomfortable on your knees because of sickness, age, anything, don't get on your knees. It's not the outward it's that which is bowed inwardly even if you're standing you could be more on your face than a man on his face it's what God sees and you are going to turn from all the diversions no matter what it costs you even if you lose every friend in life even if you have to burn every bit of music you've got that you appreciate every book goes the box gets thrown out because you're not strong enough to just look at the legitimate decent things and you know it so it goes, no matter what the cost. I'm turning from the diversions of the king's way into the godless territories. What they do, their ways, never to divert again because I know how to stay on the road now. And I'm never going to divert from that to the day I die now, no matter what the cost to life. Nothing matters but to walk with God to rule. I want all on their knees, all in front, to pray aloud with me. Oh God, forgive me for my compromises with the world. Forgive me the incredible sorrow I have been to thee. Forgive me for my defiance of the known will of God, though I have professed in hypocrisy to love thee with all my heart while I compromise And grieve thee in truth. Forgive me for every diversion I have ever taken off the king's way. Wash me in the blood of Christ. Make me clean 
Take everything, God, of my life that I lay on the altar right now and wash me through and through with the blood of Christ. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me, a consistent, steadfast, walking in obedience to the known will of God revealed in the Bible. Fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Take absolute control of this yielded vessel. A life laid on the altar of God. Longing for God to take it. And let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Oh, do that. And by thy grace, and thy grace alone, given to me, because I long for it, I vow, I will pursue, daily, beginning now, tonight, to never neglect the discipline of delighting myself in the law of the Lord, meditating it day and night, redeeming the time, not neglecting all that's essential in this world to my conscience, but never doing anything that I honestly know I should rather be listening to God on my knees speaking to my heart through his word morning and night till the day I die I vow by thy grace I will endeavor to do this please help me for in myself, I will fail. But I ask thee, for the grace of God, to fulfill this prayer, because I honestly desire it, more than life itself. No matter what the cost, even if I lose every friend I have in life, even if I'm mocked and scorned by most of the professing church, give me thy grace to never divert off the king's way. The highest standard attainable that is God's will, revealed in his word and as a result of his word, till I die.
Our prayer is that you have been blessed and encouraged by this sermon. To download full sermons, go to our website, www.sermonindex.com. You can contact us through the website, and please share a testimony of how this sermon has ministered to you.